Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Markets is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean is a wealth of knowledge, and he's on here every week, and I'm glad that he is because he's he's got a got the, his ear to the ground, and he hears all kinds of stuff coming down the down the rail here. And this week has been a, been a crazy week, man. This coronavirus has got people all kind of stirred up and you know markets kind of responded yesterday because supposedly they found the new some sort of cure or some way to kind of head it off a little bit um and and bring it back down to some manageable um, numbers i'm still kind of concerned with the information that comes out of china because we saw it happen with the or is happening still with uh african swine fever and they've got people locked up in their in their houses and cities the size of new york so it makes me wonder that it might be a little worse than what they think so I guess, Sean, uh, talk to me about what you see happen right now and, and the effects this market's having uh, because of this virus. Well, in our report last uh, that we came out this week, we kind of did an analysis of past pandemics. We've had them before. Right. Um, we get a couple of them every 100 years. Um, and so we just went back and said, what can we expect? You know, what, what, you know, we've been down this road before, and what we found was regardless of government action, Regardless of uh, cures or not cures, what we found was is that there is, is certainly going to be a short-term economic impact and a short-term demand loss for commodities. That is clear. What is also clear, it's short-term. Uh, in each of these instances, we had two to three months of some pretty significant disruption, and in in the, these viruses burn themselves out over a two to three-month period, and then they just go away. And then... All this demand that was lost is pent up. It comes back, and we have a rip-roaring market later on uh, post-outbreak. And so we would have to believe we're going to see the same pattern here. We're going to have a couple of difficult months with demand and with it, the you know, global economy and more stories about this, this outbreak is not in, contained yet, but then it's just going to go away. And from late spring into the fall, we think we could have a wild uh, demand spike at a, at a time where we could have some weather problems, you know, here in the U.S. or over in uh, Europe or Russia. So we're pretty optimistic. There's a buying opportunity that's developing here. Uh, what we also found is that it's front and loaded. They usually price most of this in, Casey, about a month after the outbreak is understood. And so that tells us late February should be where the worst of it, of any downside is going to happen. And and so we're pretty optimistic. We don't think this is a game changer. We don't think this ruins the year. We just think that it's a bump in the road, but offers some, some really good buying opportunities if you're on the buy side of the market. And also will offer some great selling opportunities later on in the year. So Okay. So one thing we haven't talked about for a little while is the cotton market. I read a few articles yesterday about um, Indian cotton getting kind of – they. They had 650,000 bales they were supposed to ship over to China, and uh, 400,000 of those have gotten delivered, but 250,000 are yet to get there, and they're, they're delayed because of this, the coronavirus and stuff that we see happening over there. Um, the cotton market obviously seemed 
obviously seem to be a little bit fragile anyway, and we saw some upticks here and there, but here of late it looks like the, the markets have been bouncing around a little bit. So talk about the cotton market a little bit and kind of what you see happening there. Um, you know, every ag market has a certain seasonal pattern, you know, how they grow it, how they harvest it, where the demand comes from. And, and cotton has an uncanny um, consistency of liking the top in the month of March. Um, it's usually when we get a good idea of U.S. planting intentions. Um, it's just it's so so we've had this big, big rally, uh, as you know, uh, and, and we have been sort of in this topping pattern, this, uh, you know, right into the 70 cents. and We just have been able to make forward. And we're looking at the calendar here, you know, and we're not too far away from the zone where the market likes to typically uh, top out. And given our cotton prices are relative to competing crops that could be planted in the deep south, you know, we, we think extra acres are going to get in the ground. So we're kind of getting on the idea that, you know, one might want to be a seller in here, uh, Casey. We think, um, you know, this could be a period of, of at least, you know, a pretty good top for a while um, until we get into some summertime weather. So we'd be very mindful of any rallies to sell. If you're a cotton producer, you think this is the wrong time of the year to be overly bullish. And of course, cotton is economically sensitive. We're going to have some demand problems for a little while. So cotton, to me, just seems like a market that's run out of gas here. So, Okay, so there's been tons of talk and speculation and all this stuff about how they were going to, how, how this coronavirus is a, is a great out for the Chinese to not uh, continue on, at least immediately, anyhow, whatever they need to buy at this particular point for phase one to continue. Um, so that you've heard that back and forth. I'm not necessarily buying it. I think that's more just the... The news cycle needing something to talk about, and and just some something else for them to to, to do. I, I really believe China is wanting to make this thing happen, and and you know they they're feeling the hit and the squeeze over there, just like everybody else is. And then you throw this virus on top of that, their their GDP is just going to start to shrink. You know, obviously, it's just going to be their economy is just going to go um, down and down and down. So, I guess as you take a look at, at what's what's going on, what, what do you feel like some of the high points are going to be out of this initial phase one thing? What do you think has the biggest chance to really jump up and take off running? We think ethanol okay. uh, is one of the markets that we really think could be a sleeper. It's, it's talked about a little bit, but not that much. We know the Chinese want to use a lot more ethanol in their fuel. They've chopped up through all their garbage corn to, do, to make the ethanol that they could, and they're running out of the garbage corn. And so we feel that given that the U.S. is a very good producer of ethanol, we know how to make it and we do it real well, that we think that that would be a market they would have a real reason to buy. Um, and, and we think that they, they'll come in when, I think February 15th, from what I understand from the agreement, is when they're supposed to start this buying of the various commodities that they want to buy. We think ethanol would be a clear a market that could really take off. And even though that's not buying corn directly, it is, in fact, buying corn directly because if they buy a bunch of ethanol and the ethanol producers have to make more, they'll bid up corn domestically. And I actually prefer domestic demand because it's good for bases, it's good for local farmers than, than exports. So to me, I'd really keep an eye on the ethanol market. We think there could be a real shocker there uh, as we move into the spring, uh, especially given that we have a much smaller crop this year for corn. Yeah. So. With China's whole 2025 initiative they've got they want to kind of transition over to more uh, renewable fuels electric cars those kind of things do you feel like ethanol might be have some opportunity more more so in china than maybe in the u.s as we start to kind of go down that 
that electric car road uh, with, with this whole renewable fuel thing? Well, they have a huge pollution problem. You know, we don't really have a pollution problem here in the U.S. We used to. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, 70 sure years did. ago, 100 yeah. years ago, you know, we had terrible pollution problems. We kind of cleaned our act up. But they have terrible pollution problems there. And so they're trying all kinds of different ways to clean up their air. I was over there a year ago, and, I mean, everyone was wearing masks. It was a perpetual fog, and it wasn't fog. It was smog. It was terrible. Mm. So ethanol is clearly, and, you know, I would even call it biodiesel, is clearly going to be part of the solution uh, that they're going to be deploying to clean up the rack, to clean up the air, um, and even the sanitary problems that might have caused this canora virus. I mean, they have a lot of work to do to become a first-world country in terms of cleanliness and pollution. So we cannot imagine that they're going to be walking away from ethanol anytime soon. And the two most prolific producers of ethanol, the U.S. and Brazil, and I think they need both of us you know, to solve their problem. They do not have enough capacity within the country to do it. So I'm, you know, everyone's bearish in ethanol. We're very optimistic because we do think it's the big story going forward. You know, it was a big story 10 years ago when the U.S. was going after it. We think we are seeing China doing the same thing, you know, with 10 years ahead. Now. So, so we really like the ethanol industry here. We think a renaissance is coming, and, um, and, we, and we think that the worst is over. So. Right on. So one of the, one of the uh, biggest hit, I would say, I mean, cattle, I guess, got hit a little bit hard, but the, uh, the hogs have just gotten smacked around here pretty good since this coronavirus thing came out. This week so far, there's been a record number of, uh, of, uh, of kills already. You know, we're already way up there, like 49,000 head have been, have been uh, slaughtered this, this week so far, um, in the first two days of the week anyway. I guess talk about the, the hog market, and, and, I mean, that's just like the little engine that could sometimes, and then other times it's they leave it neutral, let it roll back down the hill. So I guess talk about that a little bit and where you see that headed. What's interesting is we went back and looked at how hog prices traded in past uh, pandemic scares, and it was always one of the hardest-hit markets. Um, uh, because, you know, the U.S. obviously is a huge exporter of it. And, and especially now, because of African swine fever, we ramped up production to sell. And, and if you worry about your number one buyer is going to walk away for a while and you're still producing a lot, like you said, big slaughter this week, you know, you, you, you kind of reach this air pocket and, and the market just um, you know, falls apart. What we did know from past crashes that um, uh, IV bottom typically takes place once the outbreak, uh, we move beyond the peak panic of the outbreak. And so it's probably one of the best uh, rebound opportunities out there is the hog market once we get through whatever final panic phase we have to get through here over the next whatever few weeks or so. But we think the V bottom, because no matter what happens, they still need the pork. Uh, right. They still have to buy the pork. And, and then I saw that, you know, looks like bird flu is, is resurfaced. Yeah, right? I heard that. Yeah. And it, remember, one of the things that's been kind of helping them out is they've been producing a lot of chickens over there. Uh, you know, I think their chicken production is up 15% year over year. But if they got to scroll around, slaughter, you know, get rid of a bunch of, of flocks like they may have to do, and no one in China trusts domestic chicken production, and they start, well, then they, that means they even mean even more protein from, from outside. So there's a, there's a big trade here. Uh, Casey in, in, in hogs. I know I've been saying that for a while and it's never going to happen. And, but, but based upon the pattern of last pandemics that we've seen, hogs are always one of the hardest hit, but they're always one of the biggest rebounders post uh, panic. So we, we really think there's an opportunity here. Our smart money algorithm uh, has already shown some pretty bullish behavior on 
the initial break, and we're really looking forward to seeing Friday's data, we think we could have a massive buy signal here. So we're really constructive that the hog market has seen the worst of it. It's just a question of when we get this. We kind of look at it like the cattle market last year, the Tyson fire, yeah. but it crashed and burned. Yep. And then we had this V bottom. We think hogs are set up just like that market was last year for a different reason. So Yeah. Well, I mean, I tell you what, there's there's – the hog market is is one of those things that is uh i don't know that it can get a whole lot worse i mean i know it's been a lot worse but i mean where it's at trading at right now it's it's almost like it's a like an artificial number almost you know there's really no i mean yeah i know we have a lot of a lot of supply but there's so much demand out there that it's it's hard to believe that we haven't and, and even taken the usmca that we signed which is going to mean you know more mexican purchases of they're another huge buyer of our of our pork i mean yeah it doesn't it's just a panic. And yeah. A panic is irrational. It's irrational, and and that but that's where the opportunity lies. There's no. I mean, you would never get this shot. If we have something like this take place, and it is part of the history of the hog market to do this. So it's not like, you know, it, it's it's expected the hog market would do this based upon how it's traded past pandemics for whatever reason. Yeah, so. yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy ride, man. Hog market's yeah. been bouncing all over the place. Um, yeah. Let's see. I have one more thing I'll talk to you about. I think I wanted to talk about wheat for a minute. I think wheat is. Uh, I mean, there's some there's some pressure on wheat right now. I have to see how things come out. You know, with, we had some planting issues this year, getting stuff planted uh, in the in the wheat belt, and then we've we've had some some fairly um, cold weather that's kind of hovered over some of the of the wheat belt and some frosts and freezes and stuff like that <clears throat> that have come along. I've talked to several guys uh, that down in the, the Texas Panhandle, and they're uh, talking about the lack of cows that are actually out on on wheat stubble or wheat grass right now uh, 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 through uh, wintering through uh, through the winter here. And, and you know, you just take a look at what's going on in Australia, the stuff that's happening in the Black Sea region, and they miraculously found a bunch of grain they didn't know they had. And then you got all this stuff and going on like Egypt right now. They're talking about basically that they're just marginally up in the in the uh, in the acres that they've planted. So I don't know. It seems like there's uh, some pressure there maybe, but not enough certainty to know what to do, I guess, in the wheat market. Yeah. I mean, we're long-term bullish the wheat market. We have been long-term bullish the wheat market. We have been warning in recent weeks of a top, a short-term top. Uh, we reached some really important overhead resistance. Um, you know, we were trading the lack of exports coming out of Russia, which, Seen, like I said, all of a sudden, there seemed to be some increased supply that magically came out of nowhere, apparently. Um, and it's just a long time of the year for the wheat market to rally. We always talk about seasonals of cotton and other markets. It likes to correct into the early spring. Um, and so it's just time for a, uh, a correction. Uh, but we don't think this is it. We think the bigger top is coming. Uh, we think that when we get into the spring season, a lot of... Um, Warm, dry weather in the U.S., especially in the areas that have already been impacted by wet, cold weather, are going to come back to roost. And, um, and we're also very, very concerned that we might see some – we've been watching this, um, this locust swarm problem going on in Africa, uh, in the Middle East, uh, in India. And, of course, the Middle East is a large, large buyer of wheat. So I mean, there's a lot of reasons from mid-spring onward to be pretty bullish wheat again. We don't think it's – we're there yet. And of course, this Africa, this uh, coronavirus is just another excuse to, to sell the market when it would vulnerable to be sold. But we think there's going to be an opportunity to buy the wheat market here probably in March. I mean, that's kind of our, our general time frame. And we'll be looking for our smart money algorithm 
to kind of fine tune when we're getting that, those readings to, to get back in. But we, we're very optimistic we have more to go, just not right now. Right. So. Sounds good. Well, Sean, plenty of stuff going on, man. Like always, there's a million things going on out there and a million <clears throat> reasons to get a hold of you to figure out what's the best thing to do. So if folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com um, is a great place to go. You know, we also, you know, people wanted to take a look at some of our, uh, you know, our report that we put out this week. We we'll go over this these past pandemics. It's a pretty interesting report that, gives them an idea of what's going on. There's so much misinformation, you know, that might be something they wouldn't want to take a look at. And they can certainly contact us via email if they want to see that report. Yep. So. That report that he put out this week is a good one. I mean, I, I read through it and, and uh, the, the uh, correlations between past events and what's going on now are, are so identical. I mean, just they're almost like a identical twins sitting next to each other. It's just, there's a lot of good information there. So yeah, it's you, startling. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. Um, you know, they can just email us at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We'll be more than happy just to send it to them um, as, you know, as being a listener to your program. Right on. Well, I appreciate that, Sean. Well, I'm Casey Seaman with Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the podcast on anywhere you can find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, wherever. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also check out the Global Ag Network and all the other great podcasters out there. Um, With that being said, I'm Casey Seymour for Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher